bring that to you guys today. Why is that doing that? You know, we'll do that later. I got something that if we have time, we'll look at it at the end. Come on. All right, if you could, open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. So what we're going to look at tonight is very, very basic in nature, but it is very, very important. If you can grasp these things, believe them, and act upon them, and make them true in your life, it will transform the disciple that you become. So by way of introduction, I thought of Stephen as I wrote these first two sentences out and how he, uh, how he interprets it. So how many of us want to fail in our mission? You want to stand before God and want to fail. And I can't do it as good as he does, but he's like, yes, I, want to f- I can't do it. Yes. yes. Who, re- who wants to stand before God and fail in your mission? Who wants to stand before God and he looks at you and said, look at all this stuff I gave you. Look at all these talents I gave you, these treasures I blessed you with. And you did nothing with them. You spent them on yourself. You made yourself feel good. You lifted yourself up. I mean, really, raise your hand if you want to, if that wants, if you want to be that person on Judgment Day. When you stand before Jesus Christ. No, none of us. But... Okay, so if that's not you, which I would assume it's not you, to be successful requires you to do something. The Bible compares itself to a mirror that warrants change in action after being looked into. Look at James chapter 1, very familiar passage. Verse 22, but be ye doers, so the context is action of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror, okay? For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner, manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, what is that? What's the perfect law of liberty? The Bible. Perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the comparison here is, you know, I always think of what Jay said. You know, you stand before a, a mirror, you wake up in the morning, you're getting ready for school, and you got a giant booger there. Or you got a giant pimple. That's never happened. Never happened to me. So I, this never, this never applied to me because I was like, I never had a booger. No, I had pimples and boogers, and I still deal with that crap. So don't worry, it doesn't go away. You stand before the mirror and you see that. How many of you guys look at that and you're like, boogers in the right spot? Let's go. You. No, you pick it out. You wipe your face. You clean it off. You pop the zit. You do whatever you got to do, and then you go. You clean yourself up. It's the same thing with the Bible. It, it's about looking in the Bible, beholding yourself as if it was a mirror. You look at the Bible, and you see what's wrong with you. You see your imperfections. You see where you fall short, and then do you just walk away? Or do you read what it says? You believe what it says? You change and clean up and pray and memorize Scripture and, and, and give to God what you need to give and, and pray for those things to get inside of your heart so that you don't do what you did yesterday, so that you don't struggle with those same things, those temptations that you know are, are going to come your way, that you, you have an attack plan. You're being proactive and preventive, preventative about those things. That's, that's the action part. That's the doer. That's why at the end of verse 25, that's when you become a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Your works, your actions, they'll matter. All right, so too often, back on your introduction, we don't treat it as such. We don't treat the Bible as such and or unfortunately don't even look into it. Think about it. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and hopefully every morning when you guys wake up before school, how often do we look at this Bible and we just treat it like a book? How often do we look at it and we see a giant booger, we see something wrong with us, and then we just walk away on our lives. How foolish. We ought to see that and we ought to clean up our act. Some of us, unfortunately, aren't even hearers. 
It's a progression. You hear it, you believe it, and then you do something about it. That's the progression in the Bible. So in the Bible, there are seven wills that God has for everyone's life. Who in here was in the junior high when I went through that with you? And the rest of you that were, you just don't remember. Yeah, you were in there. There's seven wills that, that the Bible has. And what's the number of seven? What's seven mean in the Bible? What's, what's it a picture of? Number of completion, okay? It, it's good. It's complete. So I like seven. Similarly, there are seven key qualifications given directly from Jesus that he expects out of his disciples. They're not mere suggestions or commands. They're required to becoming a complete disciple. Okay, so I gave you lines in hope that you will treat the Bible as your mirror tonight. That as we go through these seven requirements, these seven qualifications, these seven prerequisites of being a successful disciple of Jesus Christ, that you'll examine your own life. That you'll see how you're doing with these. You'll write down things that you need help on. That Questions, how do I battle this? What scripture would go along with this? How do I change this? I need to change this. Whatever it is, you'll use those lines to treat this Bible as a mirror tonight. Because that's essentially what it is. So be honest with yourself tonight. Flip over to Luke chapter 14. And bear with me, I'm battling. I don't even know what the sickness is, so I want to stay away from me. So my voice and everything, and it's all going haywire. Called the common cold. Yeah, it was that probably four weeks ago. I don't know what it is now. So number one, <clears throat> love Jesus above all. And I'll tell you right now, just being honest, this is the most difficult one in my life, and I'll explain why. So Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Man, what a mean guy Jesus is. You got to hate all these people. You got to hate yourself. You just got to be this miserable Nancy running around the world just being all depressed all the time. Is that what he's saying? No. What's the context? What's, it, what's, what's the comparison here? Yeah. He's saying you should practically um, hate everybody so you like that you love me that much. Exactly. So, so prioritize. You know, so you got all these aspirations in your life. You got your parents. You got siblings. We'll just do people. Friends. Then you got Jesus. Where does Jesus fit on this priority list? These aren't bad things. I mean, the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother. But are we supposed to hate him at the same time? No. Who needs to be at the top of our focus? Who needs to be what we're seeking after? What do we need to love above all else? It's Jesus Christ. And that is very hard for me just to be honest with you guys and practical with my family. It can be very hard for me to set aside time to spend with Jesus Christ when I've not seen my family too much. But the Bible tells us time with Jesus is much more important. Because if I go into my family without spending time with Jesus Christ, how successful am I going to be with my family? Ask my wife what it's like living with me when I'm not spending time in the Word. It's not very fun. It's the same thing with you guys. What kind of friend are you when you don't spend time with Jesus Christ? What kind of minister in the senior high are you when you don't spend time with Jesus Christ? You, you know, and understand, we have good intentions. I want to spend time with my family. It's a good thing. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love even my relatives. I want to spend time with them. But when that love trumps Jesus Christ, you got a big, big problem. You always got to be on guard of that. We can, you know, our flesh is very good at deceiving us into thinking that what we're doing is, is good. 
And just because it's not bad does not mean it's good, if that makes sense. Good, better, best. Jesus Christ always has to be the top. You got to love Jesus above all. So I have a question under there. I want you to be honest with yourself. Is Jesus enough for you? Does your salvation fulfill you in the darkest day of your life? And I really want you to think about that and place yourself and think back to some of the most depressing times that you've been to. Was Jesus enough for you? And think about it. It's not just, okay, you have everything. Jesus needs to be number one. And on the flip side, what if everything's taken away from you? Who's the example in the Old Testament of that? Job. I remember preaching, on, preaching a little bit about that uh, during Sons of Thunder um, in JBI. And at the end of it, when he says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. And one of the things that was referenced right above that was when he lost his kids. I can't imagine. I cannot fathom that happening. But then having that happen and then looking at God and saying, you know what? When I came into this world, I have nothing. I had nothing. And when I leave this world, I'm going to have nothing. Man, if, we, if you could just have that mindset, you would be unstoppable. But that is so difficult because our flesh is so strong. We need these things. We need our family. I, I'm so attached to my kids. And it's to my fault sometimes. What are you so attached to that's not bad, but it takes precedence over Jesus Christ? That is one of the most powerful verses, I think, in scriptures when Job makes that statement. If we could understand that naked came you into this, I mean, practically think, you came out of your mother's womb with absolutely nothing. Everything you have is a gift of God. And when you leave this world, there's no trailer going with you. Everything you gain on this world, it's, it's staying here. So why not use it for Jesus Christ? So number one, love Jesus above all. Number two, live in the light of God's word. Flip over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. As I flip right by it. John chapter 8. Can I get someone to flip over to Hebrews chapter 4? Jack. Because he got booted out of announcements. We'll give you this, buddy. Hebrews chapter 4. And you're going to read verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I want to point out something that I missed in Luke. Hold your place there, John. I just want to point out a phraseology that I'm looking that all these have in common. So he says, Then shall ye be my disciples indeed. And in Luke 14, it says, You know, if you don't hate these things, he cannot be my disciple. So again, we're looking at the qualifications of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we looked at, if Jesus Christ is not the top priority in your life, you cannot be his disciple. You will not be a successful disciple. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then in John chapter 8, verse 30, or 31, then said Jesus, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So question, do you allow the truth to set you free? Are you even spending time in the truth? And do you believe the Bible as it describes itself? Go ahead, Jack. Read verse 12. Sorry, buddy. I just put your... Did you say 12, Hebrews 4, 12. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> Ken, I see why you were up here. Hebrews 4, 12. But well, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the center of... 
What, what, what else on this earth can do that? What else on this earth can pierce into your soul? What else on this earth is a discerner of the heart and mind and knows what you need to, need to hear? Think about quick. What does quick mean in that context? Alive. Alive. Do you guys know a quick little easy way to remember that? Jay taught me this one too. Just, just the, the part of your nail that's right below the skin, do you know what that's called? I'm going to backhand him. <laughs> it's called the quick because it's the only part of your nail that's alive. So the Bible, I mean, really think about what's being said. We, we read over that. The Bible's alive. Well, how is the Bible alive? Can somebody give me an example? We believe that, but why? What, what, what makes the Bible alive? Because it's so relevant today. Okay, it's so relevant and it can meet you right exactly where you're at. How can it do that? Seriously, think about it. Because God. Because God. God's the author. Who, who is compared to, who is called the Word? Jesus. Jesus. We're not reading an ordinary book. There's a reason why if you walk through the mall carrying a Bible, how many head turns do you get? Several. You get quite a few. You walk through the mall carrying Harry Potter. No, it's, it's normal. Why? There's something different about this book. There's forces. There's spiritual forces when you're walking around. They don't like you carrying that book. It's alive. It radiates life. And it has the power to pierce into your soul. You guys, you, you guys sit in here and you hear these things. Do we want this to affect our lives? Do we want to be changed by this book? Do we believe the power that's in this book? Those are the things that we need to ask ourselves. Because when you believe the book like that, when you believe that it's alive, when you believe that it has the power to pierce into your soul, then you have the ability to have this truth set you free. There's nothing in this world that can stop you. There's nothing in this world that can get you down. And when you are down, when you're in a tough spot, you're in this book so much that you're so encouraged by what God's doing. He's, he refreshes your soul. He knows what you need to hear. He, he gives you these things. He allows you to make the right decisions. I'm telling you, if, if you try and go this life Without being in the book, without allowing this truth to set you free, you will be just confused. Blind, deaf, and dumb, just running around this world, killing idle time. None of us want to be unsuccessful in the work that we do. It starts with being in this book. Live in the light of God's word. And it all begins, are you even in the truth? So those lines I want you to think about, you know, how often are you in God's word? How often do you read it as just a book? Or how often do you read it as something that's alive? Something that can actually change your soul? Something that can change... All of eternity. The Bible does not return void. It always has profit when it's read. It always has profit when it's given. Do you believe that? Number three, flip over to Luke. We're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 9. A couple little words in this book pack a big punch. Verse 23, and we're going to break it down. And he said to them all, who's the he? Jesus, if any man will come after me, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow after Jesus Christ, here are three things you have to do. Let him deny himself. What does he mean by himself specifically? What's he talking about? Flesh, your agenda, your way of life, your desires, the way that you want to go, you turn around to yourself and you say no. Do you make a conscious effort 
to deny your lustful self. Think back to the past week. Think about the lust, the temptations that set you off, the little things that, that tick, your weak spots, okay? The things that the wiles of the devil, devil are able to come in and, and tip you off. What does your flesh want? Well, what are things that, that fulfill you outside of the Bible? And again, they're not bad things, but do you seek that fulfillment over what the Bible is, over what the Bible provides for you, over Jesus Christ? Denying the flesh. That can be very, very difficult. Our flesh is so easy, easy and quick to deceive us. You know, you, we, we know the, the picture of the armor of God. You know, when you go into battle, do you go into battle, fight the battle, and then put your armor on? No, you put it on before you go into battle. So think about it. When you wake up each day, what are the three enemies that you face? You got the world, the devil, and your flesh. So when you wake up, what enemy is right there waiting for you? Your flesh. What do you think the first thing you ought to do is? Put on the stinking armor. Get in the book so that your flesh doesn't get a foothold. I'm telling you, when you wake up, what's the first thing you want to do, typically? What do you guys want to do the first thing you wake up? This is the first thing that Satan's going to use to distract your minds. The second you look at your phone, you got a text and you're gone. Or you check your stupid social media. Yes, it's stupid. I hate social media. You do all these different things. No, I'm not going to go down that tangent. That's just my preference. You, you, you take all these things and your mind is gone. Do you think you're going to come back into the Bible? No, your flesh can win the battle within five minutes of you waking up. That's how important it is that you start the word, that you start the day in the word. Read through the Psalms. How many times I'm... It's probably countless how many times David says, early I woke up. I woke up early to seek thee. Rise in the morning early. He spent his time in the morning with God because it was that important. It was that important so that he could deny the flesh the first thing in the morning. That is the most deceptive enemy and it's the most persistent enemy because it's with you 24-7. You can't get away from it. Satan's not omnipresent. He's all around. He's got evil forces, I understand, and governments and all that. And then the world, it's just how we interact with our flesh. We can't get away from our flesh until the day we die. Spiritually, we can say no to it. You have the ability to say no because spiritually we are separated from our flesh. But you really need the help from God. Good luck doing it on your own if you're not in the Word. Deny the flesh. So do you make a conscious effort to deny your lustful self? And then number four, make the daily choice. So 923... So, and take up, so if any man will come after me, let him deny himself or his flesh and take up his cross daily. So how often do you suffer for your faith? How much does your faith cost you? One of the easiest ways to have your faith cost you or or your salvation cost you is just sacrificing your time in the morning again. But then going to school, how often does your faith cost you? How often are you seen spiritually carrying your cross through the hallway? How often are you suffering persecution? It's a promise in the Bible. You ain't all that will live godly. Shall, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. If you're not suffering persecution, there's a good chance you're not doing the things that God wants you to do. And that's not me. That's what the Bible says. How often do you suffer for your faith? Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you somebody who suffered for, out of love for us so that we could have that faith. Philippians chapter 2. And we have the nerve sometimes to think that we don't, 
we don't deserve that. It's unfair that we're going through A, B, and C, or we deserve so much better. This is too hard. I can't take it. And trust me, I'm right there with you guys. And I'm sure Stephen, Rick, Megan, Brandy, we would all attest this life, it, it's difficult. It's hard. There's a lot of heartache in it. It doesn't get any easier, which is, again, why it's that important to be in God's word. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Why? What did Jesus do? Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And then verse 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, God, the creator of the universe, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion... As a, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The God, the, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, perfect, did not deserve any of this, was obedient unto death, came down, humbled himself to become a man, humbled himself to become a servant, died a humiliating death on a cross. And we think that we don't deserve to go through some persecution at school. Read... Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. See what some of those people went through. Some of the apostles went through and the early disciples. It's shameful when we look at our own lives. I look at some of the things I go through at work and some of the persecution I face because of the, the way I talk or the books I bring in and how people treat me differently. Big whoop. That's how we ought to live. We ought to be different. There's too many Christians nowadays that they go through life and they just look like any part of the world. And I'll give you an example of this. Lee Chudis brought somebody to, to church today, somebody that I work with. He's from another plant, and I saw him, and I'm like, I would never, in, a, in this stays here, because I don't know where he's walking around, I would never in a million years have pictured that guy going to church. And he's over sitting in our fellowship hall right now. And we're talking, I'm talk, and he's talking, yeah, I go to church, and I believe the things the Bible is talking about, the pastoral epistles, and I'm like, dude, your actions do not reflect this at all. I would have never guessed that. And he's somebody who doesn't want his faith to cost him anything, if he even has faith. I don't know. Maybe he'll get convicted like crazy tonight. Is that you? Are you somebody that if you showed up at one of your friends' church, they'd be like, whoa, you go to church? You're a Christian? You read this not the way you talk. What kind of testimony are you carrying? Do you make the daily choice? Do you suffer for your faith? Or does your faith suffer because you're not willing to? Number five. Follow Jesus back on Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> All right, so if any man will come after me, again, Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I love what. Pastor Tony said over church camp, Jesus being the destination. Is Jesus the destination of your life every single day? Every decision does, that you make, is it leading you closer to Jesus? Not leading you closer to be a better Christian. Not leading you closer to be a better church member. Not leading you better, closer to being a better person. Is it leading you closer to Jesus Christ? Think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Could you make that statement? Paul, for Paul, Jesus was the destination. Every decision that Paul made was in, was in pursuit of Jesus Christ. Every decision that he made. 
Shoot, probably what breakfast he had was in pursuit of being closer to Jesus Christ. Everything that he did, every facet of Paul's life, God was the center of. I know Stephen did this at church camp once. You know, you got sports, you got family, you got school, you got job, you got friends, you got church. (laughs) You got church. Is that what your life looks like? Does God touch every facet of your life? Every facet of your life, is it pointed at Jesus Christ? Is 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 it in pursuit of Jesus Christ? Do you follow after Jesus Christ in everything that you do? If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what you got to do. If any man will come after me, if you're going to come after Jesus Christ, if you're going to stand in this church and say that you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is how you ought to live. You ought to follow him. He ought to be your, your destination. And then number six, love people as Jesus loves them. Flip over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This can be very hard because we are a selfish, selfish people. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So how are we supposed to love? Who's the perfect model for love? Jesus. Verse 35, by this... Okay, by this, by living this way, by making this choice, shall all men know that ye are my, what? Disciples. If ye have love one to another. When you live like this, when you make this choice, and I'm telling you, you will stand out in your school systems. When you love people the way that Jesus loves, you will stand out. People will look at you and they will know that you're different. There's not a lot of love in today's world. This, fortunately, was something that allowed me to be set apart. I was a rotten Christian when I was in high school. I had a lot of poor, poor decisions. You guys that go to Northwest, you probably asked teachers, and some would have probably thought, yeah, he was a pretty good kid, and then others saw the lows, lows of my life. But something that really kept me close, that kept my testimony intact, was how I loved. There were a lot of people that I would try and spend time with, a lot of people that were weird or didn't have a lot of friends. And God, and I thank God for it, just gave me a heart to love on them, to care for them, to want to spend time with them, to want to talk to them. Why? I don't know. I didn't deserve that. But he did. Is that you? Do you see people as you see them or do you see them as God sees them? Do you see them as Jesus sees them, a soul lost that he wants to spend eternity with? God doesn't pick and choose who gets saved. He wants all to, come, all to get saved. He's not willing that any should perish. You, you can play a pivotal role in that. You can affect eternity by talking to that person, by loving that person. So the question, do you put others' interests ahead of your own? In the context here, ahead if your own. Wow, I can't type. Do you put others' interests ahead of your own? In the context here, it's talking about brethren, but it goes more than that. It's people. So first off, how do you treat your brothers in Christ? Because you ought to treat them with love, love beyond measure. We're all in this fight together. We need, this ought to be a safe haven. Where we come together Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and even throughout the week, when we get together, a place that we can get refreshed that we can get encouraged, that we can build each other up after this world and Satan tries to beat us down every single day. So do you put other interests ahead of your own? Okay, even among fellow believers. And I, and I think of, you know, a marriage. It's really the only way a marriage will work. 
You know, if I, if, if I put my agenda ahead of my wife's, how long do you think she's going to put up with that? Not very long. It's going to drive her nuts. She's not going to want to give me any love back. It's the same thing in this body. If you start living a selfish life, if you start putting your agenda in front of, in, ahead of everybody else, you imagine the bitterness, the, the spitefulness, the hate that will develop inside this group. We ought to love each other. We ought to look at each other the way that Jesus loves. That's why I love that he's the example. As I have loved you. That same love that Jesus Christ showed you the day you got saved, that's the love that you ought to show everybody. Because he continues, that's what's crazy. Jesus continues to show that love regardless of how everybody treats him. He continues to show that love to the most vile sinner as long as they still have breath on this earth, wishing that they would get saved. I can't fathom that. Somebody wronged my wife or me or my kids, I would immediately be angry and be like, all right, they need, to, they need to go down. Jesus, I mean, he's up on a cross praying for the people that put him there. I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Again, why we need to be in the book to understand that kind of love. Because we don't do that naturally. And that's the problem. We have our flesh. And then number seven, join in Jesus' mission. Flip over to John chapter 15. Oh, cool. It's just like one page. It works out. I didn't know. I didn't know 15 and 13 were so close. Oh, dear. Verse 8. And then we're going to look at verse 16. It says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my, what? Disciples. And then verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit that your fruit should remain. Very key right there. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So I want you to ask yourself, does your life affect eternity? Does, do the decisions that you make produce fruit that's going to remain? For example, I make a lot of good decisions at work. Okay, I make money for those decisions. We get good return on our investments at work. That's not affecting eternity. I do stuff. Makes us money now. Does that affect eternity? No. What are you doing to affect eternity? You study real hard for a test. You get a good grade on it. You know, you should work hard. But what are you doing to create fruit that's going to remain? And I want you to think about this. We have the ability to bring the God of the universe glory. Did you catch that? Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. That blows my mind. The people as vile as us, Jesus is looking at them and saying, hey, you can bring my Father glory. The creator and sustainer of the universe. You have the ability to bring him glory by bearing much fruit. That should give you goosebumps. It does not make sense to me. Why he would take the time, why he would spend the effort, why he would even sacrifice himself Why he would allow us to be a part of this, the way that we live. We have the ability to bring God glory by the decisions that we make. We have the ability to call him Father and reach the world through discipleship. But you guys need to understand, and this is where it really should come full circle and we're getting close and I got something to show. You need to understand that it starts with you. Discipleship is a daily decision. Being a disciple is a daily decision. Living for Jesus Christ is a daily decision. Salvation, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ one time, done. You understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You call upon Jesus Christ to save you. He saves you. Okay, cool. 
But living for Jesus Christ, it goes a step further. Jesus spends a lot of time saying, look, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to do this. If you do this, you can't be my disciple. You're too wrapped up in other things. He needs people that are completely sold out, that are 100% all in. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In conclusion, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5. And I love how this passage ends. Again, very familiar passage. We use it a lot as a picture for witnessing. So verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. God is the one who brings the increase to our deeds. Verse 8, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together, laborers, work, discipleship, laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Here's where it gets very important. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So what's the foundation? What's our foundation in life? You get saved, what's your foundation? Jesus. It's your salvation. Jesus Christ. You get that foundation the day you get saved. All right, now let's look on. For other foundation, we just answered that, can no man lay that... Can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what kind of Christian are you? Are you one seeking after being a disciple? What, kind, what are your works amounting up to? Your life for the last five years, if you were going to stand before God and take your foundation of salvation, Jesus Christ, and all the works that you've done, do you think they'd stand? When he throws the fire at them, is it wood, hay, and stubble? Is it just going to disintegrate? Or would it abide? So the work of a true disciple of Jesus Christ will abide for eternity. And I want you to ask yourself, will yours? And I got something, I'm sure some of you guys have heard this before, but it's very, very, very powerful. Hold on. Am I on there? Philip. Every time I listen to this, it never, ever, ever gets old. And as you listen to it, make it very personal. Think about when you're standing before Jesus Christ, what are you going to have to show? What are you going to say? Works don't save you. It's salvation, obviously. But what are you going to have to show as an act of love to God? Are you going to have any crowns to give back? Oh, for heaven's sakes. Come on, sweetheart. No, I'm going to put you in timeout. Sorry, I'm feeling very sarcastic right now. No one can tell. 
Oh, we're there. So listen to what's said. Oh God, stand eternity on my eyeballs. They like God should stand eternity or even judgment on our eyeballs, or if you like, on the fleshy table of our hearts. I'm quite convinced we'd be a very, very different tribe of people, God's people in the world today. We live too much in time, we're too earthbound. We see as other men see, we think as other men will think. We invest our time as the world invests, we invest our money. We're supposed to be a different breed of people. I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ needs a new revelation of the majesty of God. That all can understand one day. Can you imagine it? And the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body. This is what? This is the King of Kings. And he's the judge of judges. And it's the tribunal of tribunals. And there's no court of appeal after it. The verdict is final. Listen, when you see Jesus, you're not going up and say, hey, buddy, I'm glad you died for me. When you see Jesus, you'll be almost paralyzed with fear unless you have a glorified body and a glorified mind. You say, well, Mr. Rayner, I, don't, I won't be in this trouble because, you know, I don't have a good memory. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll have one that day. In Malachi, it says that God has a book of remembrance. And I think it will do you good before you go to bed every night this week to ask God, what did you put in your book this, this, today for my life? Did you get up this morning and thank God you were pure? Huh? Did you thank him that that devilish fever you used to have for, for slipping cocaine or drugs or something, that he brought the second of it? Are you really glad you're not a prostitute now? You're going to be a part of a bride of the Lamb? Are you glad he's removed from your heart covetousness? And that temper and all those creepy, horrible things that used to master you? The most shattering thought I've ever had is my personal accountability to God one day. We're not going to be judged just because of what we've done. We're going to be judged for why we did it. Not for the action, for the motive. What motivation do you give me? Or why, why, why? What's the motive behind it? It doesn't just take your sins, it takes yourself. It takes the government of your life. It's not only true that we live in a world of bankrupt politics, we live in a world, and this is the most tragic of all, of a bankrupt church. When in God's name is the church going to open a uh, heart again, and open a mind again, and see again? Can God forgive every sin I've ever committed? I said, you sure can. That is, if you repent of your sin, and you plead for the blood of Christ, and you ask for mercy, that tender Christ who went about doing good, and he kissed little babies and blessed people, now, ah, there's no, there's nothing more beautiful than a little lamb. There's nothing more terrible than the wrath of the lamb. God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. The dead, small and great, are going to stand before God in that awful day. But say, am I just a showman? What's my, what's my secret life like? For God has not really given us Jesus Christ, he's given us all things. And because there isn't enough joy in the house of God, we need entertainment. Because entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. I think before we point the finger at the world, we better turn to the church and say, look, we better all get sacked off and ashes and humble ourselves and say, Almighty oh, God. When I see the church in the New Testament, they didn't have stately buildings. They didn't have paid evangelists. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have organization. They couldn't get on TV and beg. But I'll tell you what they did, they turned the world upside down. And I'm embarrassed to be part of the Church of Jesus today because I believe it's an embarrassment to a holy God. 
Most of our joy is clapping our hands and having a good clap, and then afterwards we're talking all the drivel of the world. Oh, to be lost in Him, to be consumed in Him. You get so near to the heart of God that you share His grief over a world and over a backslidden church that we have today. Because if you're going to get the joy in God, all the dwarfs around you will criticize and sneer at you and say you're trying to be holier than the rest of the day. You discover this, the men who have been most heroic for God have been the men with the greatest devotional life. The only thing that will tie me in victory continually through the blood of Christ is my personal devotion to Him, the Son of God. My adoration that I give Him my tribute every day. It's more than my service. It's more than giving my money. That I love Him and I adore Him and I magnify Him. I, I take Him as He were by the feet. You know why the world is poor and thick outside? Because we really don't know how to pray, that's why. I've said it many times, I said again this morning, that no man is greater than his prayer life. Let me live with a man a while and share his prayer life, and I'll, I'll tell you what, how tall I think he is, or how majestic I think he is in God. It's going to be an awesome day. You see, there's no possible, there's no possibility of any rehearsal. And what? There's no possibility of any repetition. Because again, this is the final judgment. I think again of the statement Dr. Tozer made to me once, he said, Len, you know what? He said, we'll hardly get our feet out of time into eternity. And gaze on eternity of what we've asked in shame and humiliation and say, my God, look at all the riches they were in Jesus Christ. And I've come to the judgment seat almost a pauper. Master, forgive and inspire us anew. Banish our worldliness. Help us to ever live with eternity's values in view. Said that great man who birthed that revival, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. You know, if we can't live as a different breed of people on this earth, we've no right to live here. And if we get back to a people who are really baptized with obedience, submissive to the total will of God, not concerned about human opinion, not asking for more to spend prodigally on ourselves. But say, oh God, I want these in this life of mine adjusting, so I, when I stand in your awesome presence, as James said, we shall not be ashamed of his appearance. good stuff so what's God speaking to you about which one of these is he challenging you about was the Bible just another book to you tonight or did he challenge you with something that when you stand before him someday you can say yeah on that moment on November 28 2018 I made a change and it changes the conversation that you're gonna have with Jesus on that day so let the decisions that you make, let them affect eternity. It all begins with, with getting saved. I get that. But then becoming a disciple, it's a process. It takes work. We're laborers together in Jesus Christ. So let us labor together. Study these things. Be honest with yourself. Look at this Bible as a mirror and change according to what you need to change. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, every time I watch that video and I hear those words, Lord, I'm convicted. Because I know there's a plethora of things in my mind and actions that I do and just idle time that I waste 
entertaining myself um, and just fulfilling my own lust, Lord, that when I stand before you, I'm going to be ashamed. Ashamed of the time that I wasted, God, and the souls that I could have affected, Lord, and the blood that's going to be on my hands because of that, Lord. God, I pray that everyone in this room, that, that I know that you spoke to them intimately one-on-one, Lord, that they would hear their, those convictions, that they would obey those convictions, that they would understand the reality that someday they are going to stand before you and give an account for the type of disciple they were on this earth. God, I pray that they would be the best that they can be, that they would look back on this moment um, just as a pivotal turning point, that one of these things that they might not be doing a good job at, Lord, but that you change our heart you showed them how important it is that if they want to be a disciple that's following after you, Lord, that they need to change that in their life. So God, I pray that you would bring scriptures to their mind, that you would uh, help them seek out counsel if they need to, Lord, whatever it is. God, just help them understand that they're not alone. The first and foremost, they have you, um, but then they have leaders and church members, Lord, that love them as well. So God, I thank you. I thank you for this church. Just pray that your hand would be upon it. Um, just pray, protect the, uh, the ministry of, of Senior High Lord and our direction and our leadership as well. God, we love you so much and thank you and pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before-